The title of this morning's message is Hopes, Dreams, and Buying Fields. I actually really struggled with this message because part of it is a recap of the message I did on hope in a hard place. And I don't usually like to do that. <laughs> but the Lord would not let me get away from this message, and particularly about the buying fields. So, hope, dreams, and buying fields. They don't really sound like they all go together, but I'm sure you will agree later that they really do. We're going to look again at the book of Jeremiah. I started preaching out of Jeremiah a few weeks ago, and the Lord just won't let me out. <laughs> so we're going to look at Jeremiah again. We're going to be in uh, chapters 31, 32. This book is called the Book of Consolation, not the whole book, just these four chapters right in the middle here. Chapters 30 through 34, a guy calls a book. And it's called the Book of Consolation and Comfort. Jeremiah was a prophet that was unfortunately commissioned to preach judgment. So glad I'm not Jeremiah. So glad. It was a very hard thing for Jeremiah. His heart was for the nation of Israel. I believe God chose Jeremiah because his heart reflected God's own heart for Israel. God was brokenhearted over Israel. He did not want to bring judgment. But their covenant demanded judgment. That's what they agreed to. That was the terms of their covenant. Do good, be blessed. Do evil, be punished. So because God is faithful to every covenant that he has, this is the good part of looking in the Old Testament, when we see that God did what God said he would do. God fulfilled the terms of his covenant. He's a covenant-keeping God. Amen? Our covenant says Jesus took our judgment. So he's not going to pour out judgment and punishment on us. Jesus already took that. That's good news. Okay, so when we look at the Old Testament, we always have to remember that's not our covenant, but it is our God. It is the same God. God didn't get born again in the New Testament. We did. <laughs> okay, God didn't change. God has always had a heart for people. His heart has always been love and mercy and grace. He says, I have stretched out my arms to a stubborn, stiff-necked people all day long, and they have rejected. It was not God's desire to punish Israel, but it was part of his covenant. And he knew if he was going to get Messiah here, he had to be this harsh, because he had to get them separated unto him again so that he could get Messiah here, period. Otherwise, there was no salvation for anybody. Not for the Jew, and certainly not for the Gentile. So you have to really look at the big picture to understand what we're reading. I'm going to start with uh, chapter 30. I'm just going to read you one verse, verse 3. For behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, and I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel and Judah. The Lord says, I will bring them back to the land that I gave to their forefathers, and they shall possess it. This phrase, the days are coming, would not go away. <laughs> hope is the confident expectation of our Father's goodness. Hope can also be defined as faith for something in our future. This really helps when you look at hope, because faith says, I have something right now. It's mine, I possess it. It's a knowing that you can't shake. I know like heaven. I know that I know. You cannot talk me out of heaven. I am a born-again child of God, and that is my home. Now, do I want heaven today? Not if I have to go there. <laughs> I do have heaven today in my spirit, man. Heaven came to earth. His name is Jesus. That's not God's focus to get people to heaven. 
God's focus is to get heaven into people. That's the point. The days are coming. Hope has to do with what's in the future. In Jeremiah 29, 11, he says, I know the plans I have for you, plans for good and not for evil, to give you an expected end or a hope in a future. I love that verse. It was a verse that God gave to me personally in a very dark time of my life when nothing looked like it was going to turn out right. <laughs> but everything he promised me during that dark time came to pass because he's a covenant-keeping God. But you know what? They were not instant. They were in my future. Mark Testament was in my future. <laughs> when the Lord told me to go work at Motorola, which is where I met him, the Lord said, you will meet your husband there. And I really wasn't sure I even wanted a husband. <laughs> but I trusted my father. I trusted my father. And uh, he says, I want to give you a husband. My first response was, no, thank you. <laughs> I had one of those. I didn't like it very much. <laughs> and he said, no, I want to give you someone who will love you like I love you. I want to give you Jesus with skin on. That's God's plan for marriage, that we be Jesus with skin on. Amen. But see, he was in my future. He wasn't faith yet. He was hope. <laughs> okay, hope says I have something waiting for me. It's not maybe I have something waiting for me. I know I have something waiting for me. And that's where the words, the days are coming. Sometimes we want everything to be all better right now today, God. <laughs> Make it all wonderful today. Make the building happen today, God. <laughs> and God says, hope, confident expectation of good. It's coming. It's coming. The days are coming. We can't let our hope fall to the ground because we don't see it today. It's important that you keep hoping. Hope comes from remembering God's steadfast love for us, particularly as shown in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I think one of the reasons God loved to say the days are coming is because he was counting the days. He was counting the days when you would come, and when you would come, and when you would come. You know how little kids, they have uh, calendars at Christmas, and they mark off those days, and it just seems like it takes forever to get from Thanksgiving to Christmas? <laughs> I think that's God going... That one's coming. That one's coming. The days are coming when that one will come home. And God's heart is full of hope, waiting in confident expectation for his children to return to him. That was God's hope. You and I were God's hope, made available through the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to hope for God's goodness to show up in our life. Romans 8.32 says, And he, speaking of God our Father, who did not spare his own son. You could just camp right there. You could just, oh my goodness, how much love, how much love is there in a father who says, you, you, you are so important. I can't stand that you should be separated from me. So I will clothe myself in flesh and I will come down and I will walk like you and I will talk like you. I will be human just as you are human and I will become like you so you can become like me. How much love is that? That is the love of our Father for us. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him? Jesus is a package deal. He isn't just the forgiveness of sin. 
He is so much more. He is the eradication of sin in your life, the dominion of sin in your life. He is the empowerment of heaven on earth. He is God Almighty set up household in us. And when he comes, he brings his kingdom with him. He didn't leave it at home. Now, when Jesus was on this earth, he left it at home. So he wouldn't have to leave it at home when he came to live inside of us. He brought heaven with him. Heaven, the power, the glory is all within us in the Lord Jesus Christ. But then it goes on. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? The King James says freely give. This is from the ESV version. I like this better because we all understand free. <laughs> but, you know, something can be free and you don't even want it. <laughs> okay? If they tried to give us that building on the other side of town, we'd go, no, thank you. <laughs> Graciously given tells you why it was given. How it was given. It was given in grace. The absolutely free, loving kindness of God said, I so love you. I can't help myself. I have to give you everything, not just my son. I want to give you everything that heaven has. Freely, graciously, give us all things. The word tells us he gives us everything we need for life and godliness. Amen? The root word here that is uh, in the King James translated freely give is the word, I'm going to say it how it looks phonetically, kerizomahi. Kerizomahi. For those Bible students here, <laughs> you hear a very familiar word, charis, charis, grace. The very root word of this word, graciously give or freely give, tells us why it's free, because it's of grace. You can't earn it, and he doesn't even want you to try. He doesn't want you to try to earn his grace, try to earn his love. He wants to be able to say, this is at no cost to you. No cost to you. Just receive it. It is a gift. Let me. That's his heart. You can hear him saying, please, let me love you. Let me take care of you. Let me fulfill you. Let me be your life. Come on, please. <laughs> let me. That is his desire. That is his heart. That is his joy. The word grace, charis, means to grant as a favor, gratuitously in kindness, in pardon, in forgiveness, a grant. You all know what a grant is. You get stuff for free. <laughs> we like free, but free is even better when it comes with love. Amen? Our Father has always been about being lovingly kind to us because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. There's a reason grace is free. You see, salvation wasn't it cost God. It cost him everything so that it wouldn't have to cost us anything. Jesus took our place and our judgment so that he could freely, graciously give us his very own life, his very own righteousness, his very own loving kindness. The book of Consolation and Comfort specifically speaks to Jeremiah about looking into the future and seeing what God sees, what's waiting there. You know what? You and I don't know what's waiting there. But he says he'll tell us. He says he wants to share it with us because he wants to get our hopes up. He wants us to be able to say, 
The days are coming when I'll meet Mark Testerman. <laughs> the days are coming when I'll move to Kenosha. The days are coming. I have a confident expectation of goodness of my father. Why? Because whatever he says, he's a covenant-keeping God. So if I know if he, he's so faithful to Israel, even though it breaks his heart, God would do himself harm before he would break his covenant with you. That is astounding. Thank goodness he can't break his covenant with us. He doesn't want to break his covenant with us. And so he won't break his covenant with us. So whatever he promises, whatever he says is waiting for you, it's there. That is reason to rejoice that I may not have it today, but the days are coming. When Satan comes and says everything is bad and nothing will work out, the days are coming. How do you know? My Jesus said. My covenant-keeping God said. My God who will give me everything in Christ Jesus said. I can boldly declare. I can stand in the face of fear. I can stand in the face of what looks like defeat and say, No, the days are coming. My Jesus said so. I believe him. He's a covenant-keeping God. I like Jesus. The Lord came to tell Jeremiah during this um, time in his life that the days were coming. Jeremiah really needed to know that, that his circumstances were temporary. The circumstances are always subject to change, but Jesus isn't. Jesus never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. My circumstances, if I don't like them, praise God. I can say, the days are coming. <laughs> that won't be like this. The days are coming. We can encourage ourselves in the Lord. The days are coming. When I will have the things that I am hoping for. The Lord didn't say to Jeremiah that the circumstances had come to stay. He said to them that the circumstances were going to come to pass. They were going to pass, and we weren't going to live there forever. Sometimes you need to know that. <laughs> we need the Lord to say, this is not forever. This is just for a short time. The prominent saying in Jeremiah is, the days are coming. But that implies there's some waiting. <laughs> Sometimes we're not very good waiters. <laughs> Sometimes we get anxious like that little child who's counting the days to Christmas. We want God to hurry up. But our Father has a perfect timing for everything. Amen? Uh, Psalms 31:24 says, Be of good courage. He shall strengthen your heart. He shall strengthen your heart. All ye the hope in the Lord, He will strengthen your heart. Sometimes we can grow weary in waiting. How long, Lord? <laughs> and He says, It's coming. The days are coming. I have a question for you this morning. What is that thing that you're hoping for? What is that thing that you can say, the days are coming? I may not have it today, but I know my Father's heart. I know my Savior's love. And I know without a shadow of a doubt what I hope for, the days are coming. What good thing are you waiting for? You see, what happens when we wait is we usually start to dream. Hope will take us to dreaming. Now, we saw a little dream a little while ago here. <laughs> Everyone's like, ooh, that could be ours. Possibility, that's hope. 
But then we go, oh, can't you just see the children in the six classrooms? And can't you just see where we can put all the, the, the band we're going to have? And can't you just see? And you know, you start to dream. We can paint it this color. And oh, we start taking possession. Oh, does that sound like a good word? Possession? Let's take possession of something, huh? <laughs> we start to dream. So hope will lead us to a dream. We usually dream about things we hope for. We daydream about them. Sometimes we even night dream about them. But the truth is, we begin to see it. We begin to picture it. When hope becomes a dream, it becomes real. It becomes tangible. Something you can take possession of. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The hope becomes tangible. It ceases to be the days are coming. It becomes, the day is here! (laughs) And we rejoice that our hope that was a dream came to pass. The days are gone, and it's here. The dream has come true. In Jeremiah 31, we hear all the wonderful things the Lord has promised to Israel. And I shared with you some of the promises the Lord gave to me specifically for my son. But these are also available to everybody else. (laughs) I'll share my promises with you. (laughs) You can use them too. Amen? In chapter 31, the Lord says to Jeremiah, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Everlasting, uncompromising, indestructible, unstoppable love. That's how he loves us. I have loved you with an everlasting love, and I have drawn you with loving kindness, and again, I will build you. You shall be rebuilt. You shall be rebuilt. How many of us need to know that? I will rebuild you. Whatever was broken, I will rebuild you. I will rebuild you. This is his heart for all of mankind, not just for Israel. And he goes on and says all kinds of wonderful things that I don't have time to talk to you about. (laughs) But he says, I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. He says, the Lord has ransomed Jacob and redeemed him from the hand of him who was stronger than he. I love this scripture because I so see my Jesus right here. I so see my Jesus. He has redeemed me from the hand of him who was stronger than me. Sin was stronger than me. Satan was stronger than me. The flesh was stronger than me. But my Jesus redeemed me from that system. And no longer is there a hand that is stronger than me. I can do all things through Christ. I love that. And he says, I turn your morning into joy. Sometimes we need to know, I may not have joy today, but the days are coming. The days are coming when I will leap like the animal that leaps. (laughs) I won't be able to contain my joy when I see what my Jesus has promised and he has brought to pass. It says in 14, And I will fill the soul of the priest with abundance, and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness. Satisfied. That young woman who took her life, if she had only known, Jesus could satisfy. Jesus is enough. All by himself. Without anybody else, Jesus is enough. She would still be here today. Jesus is the only thing that satisfies. And in verse 17, he says, and there is a hope for your future. There is a hope. There is. You may not have what you want today, but the days are coming. So when God gives us something to hope for, and it has to be a God hope, (laughs) 
It has to be a God hope. If you're hoping to rob a bank, he's not going to help you with that. <laughs> you can do that, you're on your own. But he will help you make enough money to fill a bank. How about that? There is nothing too hard for our Jesus. While the Lord is giving him all of these wonderful promises for, for him and for Israel and declaring his love and his goodness and, and everything he has for the future. In, in 31, he goes, the days are coming when I will make a new covenant. God is so excited for this new covenant. But something very strange happens in verse 26. It says this, at this I awoke and look, my sleep was pleasant to me. And I was like, when did he fall asleep? I don't see anywhere where he fell asleep. <laughs> How did that happen? God does speak to us in dreams. In Genesis, when Abraham told everyone to tell his beautiful bride that she was just his sister, we'll just tell everyone you're my sister, that they won't try to kill me to get you. So the king goes, Woo, I like her. Come on into the harem. And God shows up in a dream and says, You are a dead man. You have somebody else's wife. And you're like, I didn't know. I didn't know. God says, it's okay. Give her back. <laughs> and all will be well. And he does. But you know what? I always find this amazing. When God shows up in your dream, you know it's him. When God speaks, he has a way of making you know it's him. It could have been like that. But a lot of scholars really believe this was Jeremiah saying, this is too good to be true. It's like a dream. I think I just woke up. God is saying all these wonderful things. His life was in shambles. He is in cisterns. He, he is in prison. His life is not good for Jeremiah. And so God brings him this, this hope and these promises of his goodness and his love. And he says, wait, wait, I think I just woke up. This has got to be too good to be true. You ever heard that one? Does that sound like the gospel to you? Yes, that was Jeremiah's response. I think, oh, wow, this is too good to be true. But it's coming from a covenant-keeping God. So he has to be true because my father doesn't lie. Our father is a covenant-keeping God. All the things that Jeremiah heard the Lord say would come to pass seemed like a dream. His nation restored? Really? The people returning to the land to promise? Really? Them being delivered from the hand of the one that was too strong for them? Really? Prospered in every way? Too good to be true. Must be a dream. No, it's the gospel. It's the gospel. It sounds like it's too good to be true, but it's not. It is just that good. Jesus is just that good. He says, I'll give it all to you. If you come to me, in me is life. I am life. What I love about this is we are God's dream. You are God's dream. Way back here, when he was telling Jeremiah, look ahead, the days are coming. The days are coming when I'll have a new covenant. Well, I'll deal with you not based on this covenant of do good, get good, do bad, get bad, but based on the blood of my son, a whole new covenant and inside salvation. When all that I have becomes yours, and it just feels like it's too good to be true. But it was so true, and it is so true. This is the gospel. In Christ, we have 
life and everything we need. In Christ, our enemy has been defeated, and Satan was made a public spectacle. Colossians 2.15 says, Having put them off from himself, the principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. it. What is it? The cross. Satan is defeated. We keep fighting a defeated foe. When we just have to say, oh no, the days are coming. You can make all this noise if you want to. Days are coming. My Jesus is a covenant-keeping God. I don't have to listen to your nonsense. I command you to leave. You get out of my presence. Does the God of the universe live in us? Yeah. Does he have all power and authority? Yeah. Then why are we fighting with Satan? <laughs> why don't we just tell him to get lost? <laughs> okay? We forget sometimes. We believe his lies. But we can say to him, I may not see what I'm hoping for today, what I'm dreaming of today, but the days are coming. You can just take your doubt, fear, and unbelief and take a walk. The fullness of these promises are yet to be seen for Israel because they haven't entered into the Father's dream for them. The Father's dream for Israel was Jesus Christ, and it still is a new covenant. The Lord attempts to solidify this truth of his promises in the minds of Israel and the minds of, of Jeremiah by saying, look, if you can break the cycle of day and night, then my promises will fail. Anyone ever tried to do that? <laughs> no, because why? Because we know we can't. God says, that's how valid, that's how solid my word is. If you cannot break the cycle of uh, night and day, then you can't, and I can't break my promise. I am that trustworthy. Even the rainbow declares to this day that our God is a covenant-keeping God. This brings us to buying fields. You're thinking, it does? <laughs> <laughs> okay, what does hoping and dreaming have to do with buying fields? Well, Jeremiah has to buy a field. I love this part. This is like one of my favorite parts. Jeremiah is still in the court prison, and the Lord comes to him and gives him a word, and this is his word. Behold, Hanamel, the son of Shalom, your uncle, is coming to you, saying, Buy for yourself my field, which is at Anoth for you have the right of redemption to buy it. God ever said something to you and you thought, oh, that's not God. That's crazy. That's a crazy thought. That can't be God. You see, while Jeremiah is sitting in prison, he's in Jerusalem, the Babylonians are right at the door. They are besieging Jerusalem. And the city, Anoth, is on the other side of the Babylonians. <laughs> in fact, it's been burnt to the ground and covered with Babylonians. And his cousin is going to come and ask him to buy it. Anybody want to buy that property? <laughs> Can you imagine Jeremiah going, what on earth would I buy that for? First of all, it's worthless. Second of all, I'll never see it. Because you've already told me I'm going into captivity. I'm going to be fine, but I'm going into captivity. <laughs> so why would I buy that? Can you hear the conversation going on in his head? That can't be God. That must be pizza. That can't be God. But then in verse 8, it says this, Then Hanamel, my uncle's son, came to me in the court of the guard, according to the word of the Lord, and said to me, Buy my field, please, that is in Anoth, which is in the land of Benjamin, where you have the right of possession, and the redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself. Then he makes this astounding revelation. Then I knew it was the word of the Lord. That ever happened to anyone? You're thinking, no, that can't be God. 
no, no, that's, that's not right. Maybe I got this wrong. I was doing this yesterday with this message. No less than five times did this happen to me. <laughs> God likes you to be sure <laughs> that you're in his will. He doesn't want us guessing about being in his will. So when you have a word you think is God, but it might be kind of gigantic or too big or too impossible or maybe it just sounds kind of crazy. You thought it was the Lord's voice, but wow, it doesn't make any sense. And then somebody comes to you and says the exact same thing, and they don't know that he's already said that to you. We call that confirmation. <laughs> I love that God loves to confirm his word, and he doesn't mind us asking, God, if this is you, I need to know. I want to be in the center of your will. God doesn't want us guessing. He doesn't mind telling you and telling you and telling you. The Lord would not let me get away from this buying a field. You see, the reason God wanted him to buy this field was because he was a prophet. And God not only speaks through prophets, through their words, he speaks through prophets, through their actions. And one of the promises that the Lord had made with Israel is in verse 15, it says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. And that doesn't sound like a big deal to us. But when your, your homeland is decimated, when someone's carrying you away to a far country, <laughs> when it doesn't look like any of the promises of God are going to come true, the days are coming. And so this was God's way of declaring to Israel, this doesn't look good. Don't mess with how it looks. Believe what I say. Believe what I say. When I say this land will again be inhabited, I mean it. In fact, I would invest in it. You know, God is a good person to have as an investor. <laughs> he says, I'm going to invest in you, Israel. I'm going to have my man, my prophet, go and buy this land, declaring to you. And he had witnesses. He called in everybody who's legal and had them sign all the right papers and put them all in the right earthen vessels so that they would keep forever. So that when the day came, Jeremiah wouldn't be there, but his nieces and nephews and the next generation would be there, and they would have right to that property. It was God staking his flag and saying, this is still my land. This still belongs to me, and it will be filled again. I am the Lord God Almighty, and my will will prevail in this field and in this nation. Amen? After the Lord has him do this, he breaks out in prayer. Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great power and by thine outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for thee. I almost can't even read that without singing it. <laughs> what I love about this particular scripture is the word nothing. It's actually three Hebrew words that means not any word. Not any spoken word. It directly correlates to the Messiah when the Lord sent an angel to Mary and says, you're going to have a son. And she says, how is this going to be? And he says, nothing is impossible for God. Same word, not any rhema. No spoken word of God is impossible, and no spoken word of God is too difficult. What has God spoken to you? What has God promised you? 
What smoke and mirrors has the enemy been playing with your mind? Going, this is too hard. This is too hard, even for God. It's not too hard. It's not too difficult. Whatever God speaks to you, whatever hope he puts in your heart, whatever dream he puts in your mind, if you know it's from him, and he's a covenant-keeping God, then you can rest assured, it shall come to pass. The days are coming when faith shall be sight. That's what happens. That's what happens. It starts out as hope, a possibility. And then all of a sudden it turns into a dream. And you start taking possession of it. In your heart it becomes yours. And then the day comes when God says, do you really believe me? Do you really believe me? Let's plant a flag. Let's step out on what the Lord says. Even if it looks crazy. What? Start a church in Kenosha? You should see people's faces. <laughs> they say, where is your church? And we say, it's in Kenosha. And they get, their face gets all scrunched up. <laughs> Why? <laughs> That's kind of crazy. <laughs> Not if it's God. Not if it's God. My question for you this morning is, what are you hoping for? What are you dreaming of? What's really interesting about the name of this property that's in Anoth. You know what Anoth means? Answered prayer. Answered prayer. He always answers. He always answers. Faith says, I am going to walk in all that my Father has promised me. The Lord said, some of you here have fields you're supposed to buy. Now, do I mean actual property? No. Unless, of course, that's what God's talking to you about. <laughs> the Lord would not let me get away from this. You have a field. You have something. And you said, too big, too crazy, doesn't make sense. But you know it's God. You know it's God. He says he will send you confirmation. They will say the same thing God is saying. He will make you know that you know that you know that when you step out, you are not stepping out on nothing. You are stepping out on the Word. You are stepping out on the power of God. You are stepping out on covenant. And you cannot fail and you cannot fall. I don't know what your field is this morning. I know what your field is. <laughs> Sometimes you can see other people's fields. <laughs> Sometimes you can't. But the Lord says, he's telling me to tell you, step out. Step out on the word. Even if it looks crazy. Even if it looks too big. If it looks too hard. Our God is a covenant-keeping God. And he will not let you fall. And if you happen to be like Peter, and you get your eyes off focus, he's right there. Did Peter fall? Nope. He sunk a little bit. <laughs> but Jesus didn't let him fall. He won't let you fall either. He will complete what he's promised you. I want to ask Sarah to sing that song again that she did for offering. If you know you have a field, you're supposed to buy. There's something God's given you to do. Get beyond the dreaming and start acting on it. I don't know what it looks like for you. It could be something very simple. It could be something gigantic. I don't know what your field looks like this morning, where you're going to plant your flag, where you're going to stop just dreaming, not just hoping and dreaming, but you're going to step out and start walking in what he's called you to do. 
whatever that looks like for you. I'm going to ask Sarah to sing that song. If that's you this morning, and you know you have a field that you're supposed to buy, something you're supposed to do, I want to ask you to come and get agreement. We'll stand with you. He won't let you fail. He won't let you fall. He'll meet every need. He'll supply every answer to prayer. He loves says, the kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Religion says, it's what you have to do. Religion takes the scripture and says, you give everything you have, and God will answer. The, the, this particular scripture says, Jesus was the man. And, the, and earth, earth was his field. All of mankind was God's field. All of mankind was, was his heart. All of mankind was his treasure. He is the one that said, I so love you. I will give everything I am to buy you out of that slave system. You never have to be a slave to fear. You never have to be a slave to sin. You never have to be afraid of your father. When he said, step out into a field, he's saying, step out into my love. Step out into my goodness. Step out in and believe that I will be as good as I say I am. I will be to you as good as I say I am. You can rest assured that God will not fail you. He will not fail you. You are his treasure. And he has paid and given everything Father God, I thank you. I thank you for your amazing love. I thank you, Lord, for your amazing word. That though it be thousands of years old, your spirit brings it to life. Your spirit speaks to us right where we are. Your spirit has the ability to give us life and hope and dreams and vision and faith. So that we can apprehend all that your amazing grace has poured out everything that is available by grace, we can plant our flag and say, this belongs to me because of my Jesus. Thank you, Father. I ask, Lord, that you continue to minister this truth to the hearts of your people. That they can trust you with their answered prayers. They can trust you with the fields that they buy. They can trust you in every situation. And we thank you, Father. In Jesus' name.